Bible tells us the blessed man prospers not just in one thing, but in all things. Why? Very important question for us to ask. Because his actions are the result of his foundation. in the tree and the chaff. And actually, uh, this morning, we're looking at when and whither. And our verses are just two. They're verse three and four. If you follow along with me as we read, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so but are like chaff that the wind drives away. So what does the blessed life look like? This morning, as we're considering this great psalm, what many consider to be the preface to the entire book of Psalms, how none of this entire masterpiece that we have before us makes sense Without Psalm 1, it gives us a grid, an outline by which we can climb that magnificent ladder, that staircase, and ascend to God's throne with our hurts, with our praise. Yes, even with imprecatory praises. Now, people don't realize that the Psalms are full of imprecatory praises. I'm going to tell everybody this right out the get, all right? It's okay to say, God, get them. It is totally acceptable in Scripture for you to say there is unrighteousness happening here. God, please act. Scriptures welcome this. I can point you to a number of Psalms that would uh, would help guide your prayer. If that's where you feel you are this morning and you don't know what to say, there are these awesome Psalms that can help guide us in this. But we start in this one step talking about the blessed man. So what does the blessed life look like? Well, now the psalmist is going to give us an illustration of that. This is what it looks like right here. What does life look like that is rooted in God's word? Remember, as we closed last time in verse 2, the blessed man does not take counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and, say it, night. It's always. So what does a life look like that is rooted in God's word as prescribed in this psalm that would bring us true blessedness, true happiness? Well, we need to look at the contrast that happens before us this morning. One of the awesome things about the Bible is the illustrations, are the illustrations. The book of James is full of illustrations. It says God's word is like a mirror. Shows us who we are on the inside. You want to find some serious illustrations about God's word, I could point you to Psalm 18, full of beautiful illustrations. We have one of those before us today, an illustration of this life, what it looks like. We need to look at the contrast. First, we're going to look at the source, the source. And think for just a second with me. I want you all to, to picture what would be the foundation of life. As 
You and I live in the valley. We are, some would say blessed, some would say cursed, to live on either side of two rivers or smack in between. Amen? Where we live. Some people a few years ago, uh, they experienced some of the wrath of that river. But today, as it seems peaceful and calm, we can take a walk along that river. There are many new trails that have been put in. When you walk along the river, especially in August, September, it's particularly beautiful. Ignore the beer cans and fish hooks and dead fish people leave along the side. Just look up a little bit and you will see a bunch of beautiful and magnificent trees. And there's something different about the trees that grow right on the riverbank. They're a little lusher, a little fuller. And if you notice when walking, yes, by our two rivers, you'll see some of the roots are exposed. And when you look at those exposed roots, you can see that they are massive. It's like a tree growing down in the ground. It's amazing. Everything you see up on top, it looks like you could see that underneath also. What a structure. You also notice, if you look uh, in August or September, that the fruit of those trees, so the helicopters as we call them, those things that bear the seeds, are A, much faster to come to those trees, and B, much fuller. You'll see those trees are doing exactly what God intended them to, and in that place they thrive. They thrive. On the other side of the tree, what you cannot see is a root structure that you and I could not even possibly imagine going deep and running out wide, holding that tree into place. We need to think of the tree this morning We need to think of the tree in relation to the life that God calls us to live. The life that is built upon His Word. Every person walking, living, breathing, and every person that has lived has had or has a foundation upon which they build their lives. And this is seemingly different for a lot of people. If you ask people different questions, well, What is the point of your life? What do you build your life upon? They may have many different answers. I'm trying to build my life up in this career. I'm trying to make sure that I have enough set aside for retirement. All these are not bad things in and of themselves. But everyone has a foundation upon which they build their lives. And when you divide it all out in the end, there's really only two foundations. For the blessed person, this is a life built upon the Word of God And I say specifically, because that's what the psalmist wants us to take away from this. That's what God has for us this morning. Not your life is built upon God's word and devotionals and the church that you go to and the Christians that you hang out with and, you know, a good family. These things are all good. These things are all important. But our lives cannot be built upon them. Why is that? Because if you build your life upon a person, they're going to disappoint you. We can all testify to that. Anyone here ever had someone disappoint them? Give me an amen. How about someone that you thought never would? Give me an amen. That's what happens. We always think that we can rely on people and we're human. And we are part of of a fallen generation. We sin. So we can't build our lives upon one another. We need to build our lives upon something that's stable, something that doesn't change, something objective, and that's the Word of God. It does not change. It does not shift. God has kept it the same. He has protected it. No other book has been preserved 
the way the Bible has. It's perfect in form, all 66 books. What is before you today is exactly what God intends to be before you today. And he has made sure in his sovereignty and in his grace that he has preserved it for you and I this morning, which is why we take so much time to devote to it. The oldest written literature that we have in existence is 4,500 years ago. Why is that? Well, there's debate about that. I believe it's because 4,500 years ago there was a flood and uh, none of the other other writings survived. We have some pretty old books. We have some very old Bibles. It's important that we realize how important this book is that's sitting before us this morning that we're studying. Because God wants us to build our lives upon it. So for the blessed person, this life is built upon the Word of God specifically. For the wicked person, this life is built upon deceitful schemes. Now before everyone accuses me of being that guy that goes to one extreme or another, uh, let me please point out where I get this idea from, where this comes from. It comes from Ephesians 4.14. We all once built our lives upon the same schemes so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. See, we can, we can deceive ourselves, we can deceive one another, we can be victims of deceit, as we'll talk about in some of the podcasts coming up. The seed is out there. And the wicked person builds their life upon deceit. Because there's one truth, one way, and one life, and everything apart from that is a lie and is death. That's it. So let's look just for a second at the contrast between the wheat and the chaff, because this is important. We're just going to look at the testimony that God has given us through nature to start off with. So the tree has a strong root structure. We talked about that just a little bit. A tree has roots that run really deep, and it's able to hold a ton of weight. Not just a ton, tons of weight above it in a vertical position. Think about that for a second. Anybody ever have a branch fall off in their driveway, a pretty good-sized branch, and you struggled to drag that thing out of the way? Imagine holding up the entire tree it fell off from. That's what the root structure does. Holds up the entire thing. tree has a really strong root structure. But it needs a specific atmosphere to survive. So, for instance, you know, you're not going to find trees growing in a desert because there's not a foundation that will hold the root structure. So they'll get really small and then topple over. It needs a specific, a specific ground to survive in, to thrive in. Anybody ever driving along the highway and see a tree growing out of a little crevice of a mountain? Man, can't believe that's holding up the entire tree. It's not because, uh, it's, it's because the tree's structure is so good. It has found roots so well. That's what we're focused on this morning. Now, contrast that with the chaff. The chaff has a very shallow root structure. Remember, Jesus talked about the chaff. He said that there was wheat and there's chaff. So people said, sir, should we root up that chaff? He says, no, let them grow side by side till the harvest. 
Then we will take the harvest from the wheat and we will collect up the chaff and throw it into the ferny, in the fiery furnace. The chaff has a shallow root structure. It's able only to support its own weight. Think of the different weeds that you see growing out uh, in, in, the, in the field. A strong wind will push them over. A strong wind and a rain will take them out. They can't stand. Chaff has a very shallow root structure. But it can survive almost anywhere. You ever notice some of the places you would not expect the weeds to grow in your house, they seem to? Like in between your sidewalk? Man, how do you live there? Try planting an acorn there. Things will not be the same. The chaff has a very shallow root structure. It can survive almost anywhere. And the Bible tells us that the blessed man is like the tree. Why is it, why does the Bible tell us that? Why does God want us to know that this morning? Well, it's not because of their actions, but because of their foundation. It's not because of what the, the people that are like a tree do. It's because what they're built upon. The Bible tells us that the wicked man is like chaff. Why does the Bible say that? Not because of their actions, but because of their foundation. The truth is, actions are dependent upon the roots. And that's for all of us. Actions are dependent upon the roots. Show me what you built your life upon. And we can almost guess a decision that you will make. We have these worldview conversations with people and they're not living according to a biblical worldview. You can tell really quickly. Bring up one controversial issue and see where they fall on it. You can tell where they have built their lives. Where their foundation is. You can tell by the time of harvest. Harvest is talking about the fruit that your life produces. And scripture is replete with verses about this. So vitally important. So look once again at Psalm 1 verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The Bible tells us the blessed man prospers not just in one thing, but in all things. Why? Very important question for us to ask. Because his actions are the result of his foundation. His actions are the result of his foundation. Think with me for just a second about the book of Matthew where this really, really interesting and strange thing happens. We're going to be talking about this in just a short little while when it comes time for us to celebrate Palm Sunday. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. Who are we talking about here? Jesus, that's right. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said, may fruit never come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. Question, why in the world did Jesus do this? Of all the miracles we see in the entire New Testament, this one seems to make the least amount of sense. Maybe Jesus was throwing himself a good old temper tantrum? Maybe he's so hungry he's like, oh, fine, forget you. You're dead to me. And it's done. No, that's not it at all. This was an illustration. 
See, remember, Jesus was getting ready to march into Jerusalem, into a place where religiosity had taken over the entire mass of God's people. So God's people do not care at all about the word of God. Now they care about laws and not the laws that are in the scriptures, the laws that man had added to the scriptures. When the Pharisees become the ones that everyone follow, then things fall apart. And before we beat up on the Pharisees too much, remember everyone, the Pharisees, the whole Pharisaical system was not designed to be bad. It was designed to be good. Why is that? The Pharisees come into play after they come back from exile. Why did they go into exile? Because they didn't listen to God's word. They didn't care about God's word. God said, do this and don't do this. And they did the things God said not to do. And they avoided the things God said to do. God sent them prophets and warnings. said, if you do not turn, if you do not repent, if you do not wake up and seek me again, you'll be taken away. And they didn't listen. So when they were in exile for those 70 years, something happened within them. All of a sudden, when things get hard, now they're really focused on God's word. So much are they focused on God's word, the pharisaical system comes into play. And these guys say, you know what? We're not really still sure of all the ins and outs and why we were taken from the land that God promised to give us as our inheritance forever and ever. And we were taken into this land, but we know it has something to do with this book. So we are going to make sure we never err here again. So what did they do? They took the word of God and they added to it. Which is the same exact thing we saw in the Garden of Eden, Eve do. Serpent says, did God really say you may not eat of any tree in the garden? What's Eve say? Yes, he didn't say not any tree, but the garden in the midst of the tree. We shall not eat it or touch it lest we die. We can go back and look at the prohibition that God gave. God said, you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. He did not say, touch it. What Eve did was just as bad as the Pharisees. When we add to God's word, there is some serious trouble. So this is where Jesus is headed now. He is headed into Jerusalem, into a place where they no longer regard God's word. Now they regard what they consider to be a higher law. So because they no longer live according to the righteous decree of God's word, but they've made up all of their own sub-rules and sub-classes of people, now he does this as an illustration. Israel chose a different foundation. They've chosen a different foundation, and this time Jesus is coming in judgment. Jesus tells them, I tell you, not one stone you see standing will be left upon another. Then what happens? Forty years later, Jerusalem falls. The temple is torn down. And they are judged. Where your life is rooted, what your life is built upon, is the source for your actions. Where my life is rooted, where my life is built upon, we're together here, it is the source of our actions. It determines what we will do. Chaff, on the other hand, has the appearance of wheat. It looks like wheat. It looks like wheat. You would think if you see chaff and wheat growing in the same field together, you'd think they were the same thing before the harvest. 
What's the difference? doesn't produce any grain. There's nothing growing off the top of it. The life of the wicked may look prosperous, and we see this throughout the Psalms too. God, they don't follow your law, yet you still seem to bless them. God, they are totally against you all, and you still seem to give them good things. The life of the wicked may look prosperous. And we've all seen this. We've all seen people that have done horrible things, and it seems like their life keeps getting better and better and better. And we say, God, why? Why does this seem like I get so much trouble, so much tribulation coming my way? Why does it seem like my life is so difficult? This guy ignores you entirely, tells other people to, and you bless him. The life of the wicked may look prosperous, but nothing of value is left behind. And this is something we need to really, really remember in our lives. Your and my life is very much about leaving a legacy. A spiritual legacy in our children, grandchildren, those people that are in our sphere of influence, and a legacy that will last throughout all eternity when God calls us to that judgment seat. Now, God will not save us because of our legacy, but once God saves us, He wants us to be building a legacy. And the legacy of those that are chaffed, of the wicked, of those that reject God, their legacy has been spent because they want everything now. They have to have everything now. Nothing is worth waiting for. Lastly, looking at these two in contrast, we talk about steadfastness or the ability to remain. Look at Psalm 1-3 once again. Its leaf does not wither. See, the tree will remain. The tree will remain. The life built upon God's word will experience the same elements as the life built upon other things. We had a flood back in 2011. The trees and the weeds growing along the river both experienced the same elements. Difference? The trees are still there. The weeds are gone. The life built upon God's word will experience the same elements as the life built upon other things. Yes, you say, God, why do you give me such hard things? And these, those people will go through them too. We all are subject to the same elements. The difference is we will remain and our legacy will remain. That fruit that we produce will remain. The life built upon God's word will experience the same elements as a life built upon other things, but... It has staying power, tenacity, to stick with it, to stay in place. The life built upon God's word will experience the same elements as life built upon other things. But the wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. The life built upon any other foundation than the Logos will not last. You know, there are a lot of people out there that are doing a lot of things and it looks like they're getting away with a lot of things and that is not going to be the eternal state. God will never, ever, ever bless a nation that accepts things that go against His law, period. And I will fight to my last breath on that one. It's true. I will show you every passage I can think of. God will never bless a nation that turns away from Him and ignores His law. He won't do it. 
But as the promise goes, we seek His face and turn away from our sin. He will forgive us. He will heal our land. Matthew 7, 24-27, an awesome, awesome passage. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, now understand, God does expect us to work. In the Garden of Eden, in the place of perfection, guess what? They were working. So all of us that have this ideal that someday life is going to be perfect when we no longer have to work, that's not biblical, okay? We are going to work. Yes, we have to work. Once we get saved, we don't stop. We don't do work to get saved, but once we're saved, we do work. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and, what's that word? Does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Notice for just a second, we're talking about the same thing. The tree and the chaff that experienced the same elements, the same waters rising, the same wind. Now we're talking about two houses. Look at the foundation. The house that's founded on the rock, it stands, even though it experiences the same exact elements as the other house. Verse 26 says, And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. This psalm not only talks about how to be happy, it talks about how to be successful. And this is not some Joel Osteen, I'm not going to smile those pearly whites, I ain't got them. All right, that man has the biggest teeth I've ever seen and he's really happy. And he's going to tell you that, yes, you can have success. God wants you to have your best life now. If we're supposed to be having our best life now, what does heaven look like? I think he might be mistaken. How do we have success in this life? What does it look like? Joshua 1.8 says this. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that is according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Does this sound familiar to anyone? It should. On his law, he meditates day and night. Amazing. See, there's a promise here for us. It's a good coffee mug to have right here. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Amazing. It's almost like the psalmist and Joshua were hearing the same exact message. Why is that? Because they were. Same author. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. This life has purpose. 